I dare you to be a Daniel. What an exciting book and what a timely book. Man, this guy was awesome. We have so many incredible stories coming up, so many incredible lessons. We have the 70 weeks prophecy, spiritual warfare, the second coming, the rapture, the resurrection. This is an exciting book, and I'm excited to present it to you on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. This has been called the backbone of prophecy, this uh, prophetic uh, 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel chapters, uh, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. This is where we get, if you ever wondered, where we get the idea of a last seven year period of time. Uh, you've heard it uh, perhaps called the tribulation period. I would say more accurately, it should be called Daniel's 70th week. And it comes from this section of scripture that we're gonna study tonight. So if you've ever heard a pastor, he's in Revelation and he's talking about a last seven year period and three and a half years, there's the abomination of desolation. Where does that come from? Well, that really comes from Daniel 9, 24 through 27. But then there's also some other places, especially in Revelation, that talk about 1,260 days, which is half the seven years or three and a half years or a time, times, and a half a time. So if you've heard things like that before, just know that the seven-year idea does come from this prophecy tonight. We're gonna dig that out uh, as we study it. For prophecy, it is not a possibility, it is a certainty. When we talk about predictive prophecy, we are talking about God writing history in advance. And I do believe that there is a near-far fulfillment to the prophecy we're gonna study tonight. I believe that the near portion is the first coming of the Messiah. And there are those, including Chuck Missler and others, that believe that based upon Sir Robert Anderson's book, The Coming Prince, that was written, I think, in the late 1800s, and some other calculations done by other uh, experts and prophecy buffs that uh, to the day, this, this prophecy gives to the very day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem presenting himself as the King of Israel. You would recall that in the Gospels when Jesus uh, was doing miracles or when they wanted to make him king by force, he would withdraw. But the one time that he really made himself known by getting on that colt, the foal of a donkey, and fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 and presenting himself as the king of Israel is on what we call Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... That's also in here tonight. The far fulfillment, and there are those that do believe this prophecy is fulfilled in the first century, and especially uh, culminating in the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. There are others that believe that it has a far fulfillment into the final week, the final seven-year period, which we would call Daniel's 70th week, where we learn about the Antichrist, the tribulation, the wrath of God, and all of that. But what we will say about this prophecy is that it does focus very much on the coming deliverer, Jesus Christ. And that was really what Daniel was concerned about. He was wondering about his people. He was wondering about the future of Israel. He had uh, come across or somehow uh, got the scrolls of Jeremiah. He had discovered that there was a 70-year captivity that had been prophesied and written about by Jeremiah. 
He now realized, based upon the markers of his own day, time markers, that he was at the end of that time, and he was wondering, well, now what's gonna happen to Israel? What's gonna happen to my people and my homeland? That is the focus. So that's, that's the beginning. Daniel 9.20 is the first verse for tonight. Daniel 9.20. Now, while I was speaking... Daniel is now recording his own thoughts here. Now, I will, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God. Now, Daniel is continuing his prayer time as this is recorded in inspired scripture. Daniel says, I was speaking, I was praying, and I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people. Now I mentioned to you that even though Daniel lives an exemplary life and takes major stands throughout several different regimes in world history, Daniel was still a sinner. The Bible says there is no one who does not sin in the Old Testament. I think that's in First or Second Kings. In Romans we know it says all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So as good of a man as Daniel was, he still was a sinner. And he had to confess his own sin. Whenever we are in prayer, we know that Jesus taught us to ask the Lord to forgive us our debts as we forgive what? Our debtors or those who have sinned against us. So a normal part of our prayer life should be confession of sin. In fact, earlier in the chapter, I didn't mention this uh, when we went through the, the prayer, but earlier in the chapter, Daniel exhausts, I believe, every Hebrew word that can be used for sin earlier in the chapter. This is what we've done wrong. We've transgressed, we've sinned, and so forth. So Daniel is really kind of uh, laying out the blanket of what Israel has done to end up in the place that they've ended up, which is Babylonian captivity under the uh, disciplinary hand of God. And so Daniel says, I was speaking, I was praying, I was confessing my sin, confessing the sin of my people Israel, acting as an intercessor. You and I can confess the sin of our people in the United States. We can confess the sins of our people in our city. We can say, Lord, I'm sorry for babies that have been killed under abortion laws or anything else that God may burden your heart. You can act as an intercessor. I was presenting my supplication. To supplicate there means to intercede. I was doing it before the Lord my God. Notice he is my God. He is my shepherd. And Daniel says I was doing it in behalf of the holy mountain. That would be Mount Zion. That would be the temple mount. Um, if you ever see a picture of Israel and specifically Jerusalem, and you can see where the golden domed mosque is that sits there right now, Somewhere in that area is Mount Zion. And so Jerusalem, literally, the Temple Mount especially, is up on a mountain. You always go up to Jerusalem. And so Mount Zion is really, or the holy mountain here, is another name for Jerusalem or the area where the temple was. So the holy mountain of my God. Uh, the focus here of the prayer and the prophecy is on the people of Israel. And so uh, it may be that Daniel was praying this prayer. If you look at uh, Daniel 9, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent. Flip back to Daniel 6, 1 for a second. Daniel 6, 1. This is the lion's den chapter. 
It seemed good to Darius, 6-1, to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom. I was listening to another teacher teach on this, and he was saying that it may be that the lion's den situation when Daniel was praying three times a day with his windows open towards what? Towards Jerusalem, because that's where his heart was. Uh, It may be the same time frame that we're dealing with here. So Daniel's prayer life was very much uh, centered around the people of Israel, the homeland, but it may have had a more, even a more sense of urgency during the king's decree that you couldn't pray for 30 days except to anybody but him. So it may be that when he got caught praying in Daniel 6, we're in the same time. And Daniel refused not to pray because there was so much at stake, but I think he would have prayed either way. And we do find out that Daniel prayed three times a day. Now in the Jewish worship around the temple, there were three main times of prayer. Nine in the morning, noon, and three in the afternoon. There was a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. And it would seem that Daniel continued that prayer time despite the fact that there was no more temple and he was out of the homeland. I heard Alistair Begg say, you can take the man out of Jerusalem but you can't take Jerusalem out of the man. And so he had patterns in his life that he had developed early on, and those patterns remained his even in Babylon, even in a foreign land. So it doesn't matter where you may end up geographically, you can still be true to your God because he is everywhere present and he hears our prayers. But to this one will I look, Isaiah 66, 2 says, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Daniel is a picture of this type of person. He is praying, he is humble, he is contrite, he is trembling before the word of God, namely Jeremiah's teaching. Verse 21, back in Daniel 9. And so, he says, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man, we know he's an angel, but he appears as a man, Gabriel. Just a side note, Every time an angel does appear, he appears as a man. Michael, Gabriel, Lucifer are masculine. Now, I do know that we see, if we go to a store and we see those little trinkets, uh, oftentimes they are presented, angels are presented as what? Female. And I'm not here to rock the boat unnecessarily. So that's all I'm going to say. Because... I've learned wisdom over the years, but I thought it would be worth pointing out that when angels are actually named in the Bible, they are masculine. I leave it there. So this this man uh, or angel, we know he appears in the book of Luke, and we'll talk about that in a moment, whom I had seen in the vision previously, he appeared in chapter 8, came to me, says Daniel, in my extreme weariness, we're at the end of verse 21, about the time of the evening offering. Now the time of the evening offering was what? Three in the afternoon. So Daniel, keeping those times of prayer, is praying in the afternoon, and Gabriel shows up at at about the time of the evening offering. I'm trying to recall, but when Zacharias is in the temple, I think it's at one of the offering times that he shows up to Zacharias. Uh, You can check me on that, but I think that's the case. We know he's serving in the temple. And so, Daniel says, he came to me, notice, in my extreme weariness. Daniel was a tired man. 
And it reminds me, I was thinking, you know, prayer is a privilege, but prayer is also hard work. <laughs> prayer can it be especially weird. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... The Book of Ruth is a tiny gem in scriptures. Its story goes much deeper than we see on the surface. It's a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption. Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, and Boaz becomes their redeemer. Looking deeper, the lady's story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. This book will give you hope through the toughest seasons and lead you back to the answer, our God, who is filled with loving kindness and is our hope. For your donation of $20 or more, we would like to give you a copy of the CD set or DVD by Pastor Michael Lance, Ruth, the Lord of the Harvest. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. So sometimes, you know, we may pray over a meal or it may be a little bit more, you could call it, you know, not heavy things that we're praying about. And so it's not, it's not wearying. It can even, you know, prayer can definitely be refreshing. But when you are burdened with something, let's say that you are, you are supplicating, you're praying for somebody that's ill, or maybe you have a burden for the country, or maybe you have a burden for a marriage that's in trouble, or whatever it may be. Sometimes you can be wearied in prayer, and that's not a bad way to get wearied, right? Is to pray. And Daniel felt the burden. I think he was feeling the burden of the captivity, the burden of what was gonna happen to his people. And you know, the Lord says, cast your burdens to me. So what I try to do when I'm praying, even if I've got you know, 15 things that I'm concerned about, and believe me, as a pastor, I hear uh, a lot of the ugly side of life. You know, I, I, I come across a lot of issues and problems and things, and, and if I were to carry all those burdens for myself, I would be done in about a couple of hours. So I have to cast those burdens for you and for me to the Lord because I can't carry them and I can't fix them. And so I gotta, I gotta bring them to the one who can do something about it. And I would encourage you, for those of you who carry the weight of other people's problems, to just know that God says, cast your cares to me, right? He invites you to do that. That's a wonderful invitation. I don't have very many people that are asking me to give them my worries, right? You know. Pastor Michael, just tell me all your problems. I'll, I'll carry them for you. So, but the Lord does do that. And Daniel was extremely weary. And I think that's just part of being human is sometimes we just get tired. In Mark 1.13, when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, it says he was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. Mark 1.13. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying the night before he's crucified, he went a stone's throw away. He knelt down and began to pray. He said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Luke twenty-two forty-three says, Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And Hebrews 1, 14 says of angels, Are they, angels, not all ministering spirits? sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Who's gonna inherit salvation? You. And so angels are involved in the ministry of the church today. I don't know how all that works. 
I have one angel story that I've told you guys in the past. At least I think it could have been an angel. Um, I was a young Christian. For those of you who haven't heard this before, I was asked to share my testimony many, many years ago. And I was wrestling with just simply walking with the Lord. I had a foot in the world and a foot in Christ. And so my, my wardrobe consisted of tight T-shirts and those old bike coaches shorts. You remember those things? They were way too short. I don't know why guys wore them. I don't know why I wore them. I've burned the pictures where uh, I'm seen in those. In fact, I had a pair of white ones, which was even worse. But anyway, so I went up to the pulpit, and there was this little church in Orange, and, and I said, hey, folks, uh, my name's Michael, and I tried to clean up my life this week so I could talk to you guys. And there was kind of a giggle out in the congregation, but I think it was a bit refreshing to them that I was honest, that my life was a bit of a, of a disaster. And so I was done speaking, and I had talked about faith in Christ and what he was doing in my life, and I was in the little foyer, and a woman came up to me and said, oh, I wish my son were like you. And I, and I thought to myself, lady, if you only know what I've been up to and where I've been, you wouldn't say that. Well, I turned, and there was a lot of people around, and all of a sudden, a man grabbed me by the hand. He had red hair, kind of a auburn hair with a, with a beard, and he gave me one of those handshakes where he wouldn't let go, and he was looking almost into my soul like Paul Hicks does, if you've ever experienced that before. He looked into my soul, and he said to me, you can help a lot of people. And he wouldn't let my hand go, and it kind of got a little uncomfortable, and then he released my hand, and I talked to somebody else, and I looked around, and that guy was gone, and I never saw him again. And I had never seen him at the church before. I don't know. I like to think that that's my angel story. Do angels have beards and red hair? I, I don't know, but anyway. But I tell you what, it was a pivotal moment for me in terms of my life and uh, the trajectory that God would take me. And that wasn't the only moment where I felt like the Lord was really saying to me, Michael, I want to use you, but I want you to decide to follow me and follow me fully. So in Daniel's weariness, Gabriel shows up and Gabriel comes to him. And of course, we know Gabriel is going to uh, give him insight and understanding, which I think was really with the burden that was on Daniel's heart. Look at verse 22. And so it says, he gave me, Gabriel gave me, Daniel, instruction, 22, and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. Now, it just struck me to know that God knows my name, he knows your name, he knows when we're praying, and I think it's a beautiful thing. Remember Daniel's name together, Dan is a tribe of Israel, and Dan means judge, and the E-L ending means is God, the word L, E-L. So Daniel's name means God is my judge, when you put it together in Hebrew. And I was telling the guys this weekend that um, the word for judge in Hebrew thought is not God is my judge in the sense that he wears a black gown with a gavel behind a mahogany bench ready to pass a sentence on me. In Hebrew thought, the idea of God is my judge is more God is my defender and protector. In fact, in the Bible, we have a book called the Book of Judges. And judges like Samson in Israel were selected by God to defend and protect the nation. And really, they were those who preceded the kings of Israel. So you read the book of Judges, and that kind of precedes the time when Saul and David come, and they are kings of Israel. 
And so when Daniel's name is translated, the Lord is my judge, it, it could mean ultimately that I'm gonna answer to God, and it does mean that, but it also has the nuance of God as my defender and protector. You might wanna write down, if you're interested in digging this out a little bit more, Psalm 68, verse five, where it says that God is the judge of widows and orphans. Psalm 68, verse five. There in that verse, it's talking about the meaning that God is the protector and defender of orphans and widows, though it uses the word judge. So that's what I'm talking about. I think that Daniel's name can have that meaning that God, and of course it applies to us because Jesus is our defender and protector in heaven and he's our Lord and our Savior. So, oh Daniel, he knows my name. How many of you remember that song, he knows my name, he knows my every thought? Uh, that was a beautiful song. I think it was somewhere in the 90s. I remember it being at a Harvest Crusade and uh, that song was being played by, was it Tommy, um, was it? But it was, there's another Tommy that was a worship leader. I can't think of his name right now. But anyway, but they, they were playing that song and it was really ministering to everybody because it was showing that God is a personal God. You know, uh, sometimes it seems like in a million faces we ask the question, does God really know me as an individual? Does he know my name? Does he care about, you know, what I go through? And the truth of the matter is that God knows you as a person. As an individual, he loves you. He knows your struggles. Uh, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So, of course, he knows you personally. And Daniel was weary. Isaiah 50, verse 4 says of the Messiah, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. I certainly realize that sometimes you guys come in here and you're weary. I know that. Uh, I know you have tough days, tough weeks, tough months. I know some of you have difficult situations and questions. And my prayer for you is that when you come in here, that some of the words that come out from the scriptures encourage you in your weariness. You're not all weary, but some of you are. And the Bible can do that for you. And so the angel begins to, to, to address Daniel after he says to Daniel that, he says in verse 21, oh Daniel, he says, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. He says, at the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, NIV, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. The moment that you began to pray, an answer was coming forth. God knows our thoughts before we think them, our prayers before we pray them. But in some way, God also uses our prayers as a means to his ends or to fulfill his will. And so Daniel is praying, and in response to that prayer, but of course under the sovereignty of God, the big theme of the book of Daniel, a command was issued. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. And of course, the way this answer was going to be given was an angel was dispatched to give the answer to Daniel. I've come to tell you, middle of the verse, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. If an angel tells Daniel that he is highly esteemed, where do you think he may be highly esteemed? I think in heaven. Daniel, some of the versions say, you are greatly beloved, which is beautiful. 
uh, Daniel was highly esteemed in heaven. If you have a New Living Translation, it says you are very precious to God. And I, I wonder about that as an individual, like, you know, how would one gain esteem in heaven? Heaven becomes, as you study your Bible, a synonym for God. So if you're greatly beloved or highly esteemed, I mean, that, that speaks volumes. So I know your name, Daniel. God's heard your prayers. And by the way, you are highly esteemed in heaven. <laughs> There's nowhere else I'd like to be highly esteemed, right? Amen. Than in heaven itself. That's what we should be shooting for. We, we worry so much about what other people think of us, but ultimately, you know, my audience really is an audience of one, and I want him to be pleased with what I do, how I preach, how I live. And Daniel was that kind of man. Hey guys, it's incredible that we're entering the holiday season now. And we have a wonderful product to offer to you as a thank you for a donation of $20 or more to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth. It's called Lord of the Harvest. It's a teaching through the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, is more than just what you see on the surface. It's really a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption. As Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, but meet a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. When we look a little deeper, their story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. I would love to get this product into your hands. Go to our website at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH, and we'll get this product in your hands. And for a donation of $20 or more, you'll be helping us reach more people and reach out with God's truth this holiday season. We appreciate it. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.